Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, today's a good day. Uh, my name's Greg Clark. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, really excited about what God has for us today. Uh, there's a little book. Um, I remember uh, when I first became a pastor, actually when I was going for my licensing interview. So before I was even a pastor, I had to get licensed. And at my licensing interview, one of the people that was interviewing me had suggested I read a little book called My Heart, Christ's Home. Small little book, 32 pages long, uh, written in 1986 by Robert Munger. Um, and it's a book that's based off of, of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. And here's what, uh, that, that passage of scripture is in the middle of a prayer that the Apostle Paul prays for all of us. And here's what he prays. He prays this, I pray that out of the Father's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Munger uses the illustration of a house to kind of give us a picture of our hearts as we invite Christ to come into all the different rooms of our house and, and make our house or our heart Christ's home. Munger walks through inviting Christ into the various rooms of the house, and each part of the house represents a different aspect of our lives, like our daily prayer life, our family life, our work life, even moving into the little closet space where we hide away pieces of our life that, that might bring us shame or fear, things that we don't want anybody else to see, the stuff that we hide. And the final point Munger makes in this book is that we must turn over the keys to the house to, of our house to Jesus, the keys of our heart to Jesus, submitting every aspect of ourselves to Jesus as he moves about taking up residency and not just living in the space, but taking up ownership of our hearts. This illustration paints a, a beautiful picture for us of the theological concept of sanctification. Sanctification is the right now reality that we are holy in Jesus Christ. And sanctification is the continual submission of ourselves to Christ, giving over ownership of our lives as Jesus makes us holy and sets us apart for God. It's both of those things together. But here's the most important part of sanctification. The most important part of sanctification is that the reality here is that this process, the, both, the, both the right now reality of our sanctification and the continual process of our sanctification, both of those are works that are done by the Holy Spirit. You and I are not holy on our own, and we cannot pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and clean up our act on our own. We come to Jesus broken and bruised and in need of a Savior. Romans 3.23 says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. We need Jesus. We are incredibly lost without him. We also look in Romans 6.23, and we see this, that, that for the wages of sin is death. That's what life looks like without Jesus. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Without Jesus, we are lost. 
and we are dead. With Jesus, we are found and we have life. And in, in case we were wondering, well, is there some other way to find life? Well, in, in uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the apostle Peter says that salvation is found in no one else. He's speaking of Jesus there. Salvation is found in no one else. And Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we come battered and bruised without a righteousness, without life, without a hope on our own. We come to Jesus, who is our righteousness, our hope, and who is the only Savior we can ever have. And when we come to Jesus, Romans chapter 10 gives us this promise that if we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. The beautiful part of this is that it doesn't end there. the, The point of salvation is not the ending of the story for us. It's actually the beginning of the story for us. We read here in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, the plan of Jesus, God's plan, Jesus' plan, is to keep on working on us. Not just to have us stop at salvation, but for us to continue forward in our growth and progress. It is true that we have been sanctified. It is a done reality. We've been set apart and made holy by Jesus' finished work on the cross. When God looks at our record, he sees his son. When he looks at us, he sees the work that Jesus has done. He sees us as it is through rose-colored glasses. Rose-colored because it's the color of Christ's blood. Jesus, or God sees us through his son's sacrifice, and we are right now sanctified, holy, set apart in Jesus. And at the same time, At the same time, we are being sanctified. We are being set apart and made holy. The work God started, he is continuing to finish until we see Jesus face to face. In in Hebrews, we get a glimpse of how this is a, a, a done deal and a being done deal. Hebrews 10, 14. By one sacrifice, he, Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Both of these are true at the same time. We are already set apart and made perfect by Jesus' sacrifice. And we are also being set apart and being made perfect. This is a done deal and a being done deal. Titus gives us another glimpse into this in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. It's these two things that happen in us because of what Jesus did. Rebirth, which happens when we come to salvation, when we come to Jesus for the first time, it's a one-time thing. You are reborn. And renewal which is an ongoing process. We continue to be renewed day after day. We are done and being done. So I know I I just, we just kind of ran through a whole bunch of passages of Scripture, right? And you likely, if if you're trying to remember all these passages, you might not remember them. You might have to look this up later and remember what passages we went through. And I'm not trying to overburden you with passages. 
But I want you to see how this is not a thought that I've come up with. This is a biblical concept. This is what Jesus has come up with. This is God's plan for us. Jesus has sanctified us, set us apart for God, and Jesus is at work in us through his Holy Spirit to sanctify us through and through. Now, the first part, Jesus does all on his own. Jesus saved us by his death, setting us apart for God. We just have to receive that amazing gift from God, and it's done. We are saved and sanctified when we accept Jesus' gift of life that he gives to us. We just have to receive it. We just have to receive it, okay? Thank you, Jesus, for your gift. That's why so many times in the New Testament we are called saints, even though we don't feel much like saints, because that's who we are in Christ. It's a finished work that Jesus does in us as we accept this gift of salvation and sanctification. The second part, though, the ongoing process, Jesus does this in partnership with us. This process of Jesus working in us through his Holy Spirit to sanctify us, this is a work that is done in partnership between God and us. We must give Jesus to access to our lives. We must give him access to our lives, diligently abiding in him. We're called to, to press into Jesus, to abide in him as he abides in us. And we're called to work with him as he cleanses us and makes us holy. We don't want to get these two parts confused. The first part is Jesus' work of marking us as holy, and it's not based on our behavior at all. The second part of sanctification, this ongoing process, it is partly dependent on our behavior. As we abide in Christ and he in us, we participate in our ongoing sanctification. It's this part, the abiding in Christ piece, where we often come up short. To go back to the illustration of my heart, Christ's home, we ask Jesus to save us, and then we invite him into our hearts. But when the Spirit of Christ shows up to do the sanctifying work in partnership with us, we just leave him standing in the entryway, uh, the house, the, the, the beginning, the front end of our hearts. We just leave him in the entryway. It's as if we say, come Holy Spirit, but, but don't come too far. It's, it's okay for you to stay kind of in the entranceway. Keep your jacket on. Don't take off your shoes. Just cop a squat there in the front entrance. It's a nice entryway. I've put down some cushions for you to sit on. Don't come any further. I don't want to, I, I want to be saved, but I quite like my house the way it is. Thank you very much. I don't need you coming in and rearranging the furniture. I don't want you mucking up the groove I've gotten into. I certainly don't want you cleaning out the closet where I've carefully hidden all of my, my brokenness and my shameful stuff. I'd like to keep that nice and hidden. Just stay there in the entryway and I'll get on with my life and you get on with yours. Honestly, that's how I feel like I've treated the Holy Spirit sometimes in this process of sanctification. I feel like I've told the Holy Spirit, hold on just a moment, this is my life. I'm happy to be saved but I kind of want to just do things my own way. Have you, ever, have you ever treated the Holy Spirit kind of like an unwelcome guest? Maybe like that strange, weird uncle that we'd rather just not come back to the family reunion. We just kind of like, we'd like to keep him out of the picture. 
The problem with this is that if you've been following along with us, Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 16, verse 7, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is a crazy thing. We've talked about this before. If Jesus were to show up here today, if Jesus were to walk in these doors, not one of us would go, excuse me, Jesus, we got our own thing going on here. You just can kind of go off somewhere else. We wouldn't do that. But Jesus said, I have to go away because I'm sending you something better. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And he is better than me being here. If, if, Jesus, if it was better for Jesus to stay, he would have stayed. But it was better for him to go so that the Holy Spirit could come. And often we treat the Holy Spirit with a little bit of disdain. Earlier in, in John, in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Other versions say another helper, or another counselor, or another encourager. He will give you another advocate to help you and, he, and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Do you see that last sentence there? I've underlined it so you would pay attention to it. Before Jesus leaves, the, the Holy Spirit with, was with the disciples. But before Jesus goes... The Holy Spirit was already with the disciples. But after Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit will be in the disciples. That's a big change. The Holy Spirit will live in them. Jesus said it was better for, for him to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come. Why? Why? What's going on here? What's happening? When Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit will come and live in them. Let me, let me talk to you about this a bit. I hope you've been following along in our, in our John series this summer. All summer long, we've been going through the book of John, and we've been talking lots about what happened in the Gospel of John. We've especially in the last several weeks been in this section, these last words of Jesus before he goes to be crucified, and that's found in John chapter 13 to 17. In this section, Jesus is preparing the disciples for when he goes. He is telling them everything they need to know before he goes to be crucified, He's about to go away, and he's like, you guys have to know what's about to happen. Now, up until this point, Jesus has been walking with the disciples. He's been, he's been doing amazing, miraculous things. Uh, Jesus has been doing supernatural stuff. The disciples have been do, doing supernatural stuff. They've been just kind of partnering in with Jesus. Everywhere Jesus goes, they kind of follow along, and when Jesus does stuff, they do stuff, and they do all this amazing stuff. It's amazing. Now, do you remember... Do you remember how Jesus did all the amazing things he did? How he did all the supernatural stuff, like, like healing, like opening the eyes of the blind, raising the dead, doing all... Do you remember how he did all that stuff? It, it wasn't because he was God. That's the crazy thing. It wasn't because he was God. Jesus did what he did by the filling, empowering, and anointing presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did what he did because the Holy Spirit was in him. That's how he did what he did. That's how we know that we can do what Jesus did. If Jesus did what he did because he was God, there's no chance that we could do what Jesus did because we are not God. But Jesus did what he did through the filling, empowering, and, and anointing of the Holy Spirit, and that's how we can do what Jesus did. 
Now, we've talked about this before, but you can do your own little study later in Luke chapter 3 and 4. I'm just going to briefly touch on what this looks like. In chapter 3 of Luke, Jesus is baptized and the Spirit comes and settles upon him. Then in Luke chapter 4, it says that Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit going into the desert. He comes out of the desert in the power of the Holy Spirit. And finally, he lays out his supernatural mission under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You guys remember this in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And he goes on and lists all the amazing things he's about to do. Jesus shows up to the disciples, full, empowered, and anointed by the Holy Spirit, and then does all the amazing things that he does through this fully empowered anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, the disciples, on the other hand, they get to partner with Jesus while he's here because Jesus, full, empowered, and anointed, is with them. That's how the disciples, uh, in that three years, that's how the disciples do what they're doing because they're with Jesus, who is fully empowered and anointed. They're with him. He's with them. That's how they do what they, what, what, what they do. But now, now, Jesus is about to leave. They, Jesus will no longer be with them. So how are they going to do what they're supposed to do? Well, Jesus says he will send the Holy Spirit. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to the disciples, not just to be with them like he was with them, but now the Holy Spirit is going to be in them like the Holy Spirit was in Jesus. This is the way the disciples can keep on doing what Jesus was doing, by being themselves full, empowered, and anointed by the same Holy Spirit that Jesus was full, empowered, and anointed by. So this happens. This happens. Jesus doesn't just talk about it happening. So Jesus tells them what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. When I leave, you need the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. It's going to be fantastic. Jesus dies. He's crucified. He dies. He's buried. And he rises from the dead. And then here's what happens. Here's what happens. In John chapter 20, here's what happens. John 20, starting in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hand and his side, and the the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, we're going to talk about that last sentence in just a moment, so don't get distracted by it. Let's start at the beginning of this. Jesus says, I am sending you as the Father sent me. Now, this refers back to Jesus' baptism. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens open up. We hear the, 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 the voice of the Father say, this is my Son, and the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus, and it's an amazing time. Jesus is sent at that point by the Father. He's sent by the Father being filled with the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit going into the desert, empowered by the Spirit coming out of the desert, and anointed by the Spirit as he laid out his mission. This is the same way that Jesus is sending out the disciples. He's breathed on them, so they receive the Holy Spirit, and he sends them out to do the same stuff that he was doing. Now, this last sentence here is proof 
that Jesus was sending them out to do the same thing that he was doing. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, some have taken this verse to, to set up this whole, you have to come to a priest, you have to confess to the priest to be absolved of your sins, all that kind of stuff. That's not at all what's happening in this verse. What Jesus is saying here is that as the disciples, and us as well, as we all, go out to share the good news if the message is received, we can tell people your sins are forgiven. See, up until this point, it, all through the Old Testament, the, the people had to continually bring sacrifices in the hopes that they were forgiven. And there was never really any point where they would give enough sacrifices where the priest would go, hey, you're forgiven. This is fantastic. They, they would just keep on bringing sacrifices because they never knew, am I forgiven? Am I not forgiven? What's going on? And when Jesus shows up on the scene, he starts forgiving people all over the place. He'd come into to the presence of people and be like, hey, you're forgiven. And, and like the Pharisees would go, what are you doing? Only God can forgive sins. What are you doing? This is actually one of the reasons why Jesus was crucified is because the Pharisees were so angry that Jesus would dare to forgive people their sins. But Jesus was just showing that as people put their faith in him, they were forgiven. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, as you go out, if people receive the message, if they receive the gospel, the good news that I am their Lord and Savior, if they receive me, then you can tell them with all assurance, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Because what Jesus did was once and for all. When Jesus died on the cross, there was, there was no question. If we put our faith in Jesus, we're forgiven. There's no question. There was no need to try to do it again. There was no need to bring more sacrifices. There was no need to keep on working harder. The disciples can just say, if you receive this message of Jesus Christ, if you accept Jesus into your life, you are forgiven. This is proof that they were going to be walking in the same mission that Jesus was walking in. They're going to walk in the same mission as Jesus was walking in because they have received the same spirit who now is in them. And we are on the same mission as Jesus as well. We're on the same mission as Jesus as well. And Jesus has given us this mission to go out there and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that if anybody receives that, we can say, you are forgiven. We can tell people that because of what Jesus did on the cross, if you accept Jesus as your Savior, you're forgiven. It's all done and paid for. The importance of this passage is that we, along with the original disciples, have been sent out We've been sent out in the full, empowered anointing of the Spirit to do what Jesus was doing. It, it, it is proclaiming the good news to the poor and giving them assurance that they are forgiven. It's also laying hands on the sick and praying for them so that they would become well. It's also cleansing the lepers. It's freeing the captives. It's setting people free from, from torment it is all these things, and it's assuring people that their sins are forgiven. What I find interesting about Jesus, he would show up with somebody. There was the invalid who was, who was brought through the roof and laid out on a mat in front of him. There, there was the woman who came to him who washed his feet. There were blind people and deaf people and, and all kinds of people. And he would tell people, he would tell them over and over again. He'd start off with saying, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees would go wild. What are you talking about? That's crazy. Then he goes, okay, so that you know that their sins are forgiven, so that you know that the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, has the ability to forgive sins, 
Get up and, and walk. Eyes be opened. Ears be opened. Rise from the dead. He would heal as the proof that he had the, 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 the ability for, to forgive sins. It's amazing. And I think there's going to be some of that here as well. To be able to go into the world to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and say you're forgiven. This life, I mean, if we think about on the, on the level of, of how important what's being said by Jesus is, this life, if you can imagine it like this, if, if you can just, this life, if you were to kind of look at it, the length of time, even if we live to be 100 years plus, that amount of time is about this small compared to the full length of eternity that just kind of keeps on going past all this point. If you were to picture how long our life here on the planet is, it's like if, if there was a beginning, eternity doesn't really have a beginning, but if there was a beginning, if we take it from the time that we were born and we look that we've lived 100 years and it looks about this long and then we look at eternity, which keeps on going and keeps on going and I could go to Hythe and I could go to Dawson and I could keep on going until I've gone around the world a couple dozen times, it's longer than that even. If we consider what Jesus has done when he says, this life that you've lived, this life that you've lived in brokenness, this life that you've lived in lostness, this life that you've lived in deadness, you are forgiven. I give you life and life eternal. That gift, that miracle is so much huger than any other miracle we could possibly ever see because the life of Christ continues on forever and ever. Yes, maybe Jesus over here in this space says, so that you know that I have the right to forgive sins, I'll, I'll open the eyes of the blind. I'll raise the dead. I'll cleanse the lepers. I'll give people the ability to walk again. Yes, that's a miracle, and that's what we see right here. It's an amazing, but that's only this long. If we think about the miracle of what Jesus did when he says, your sins are forgiven, you've been made right with God. You've been made right with God. And when you've been made right with God, life stops being this long, and it becomes this long. Isn't that amazing? But so that we would understand it, Jesus is like, okay, so that you get, you get that I have the ability to give all of this life. I'll, I'll make you be able to walk again. Which is awesome also. But compared to what Jesus just did in forgiving sins and making people right with God, it's just such a small thing. This is the mission that Jesus invites us into to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that life eternal is possible for you. So the disciples are filled with the Spirit. They're sent out on the mission of Jesus. This happens there in John chapter 20. And the interesting thing about it is it doesn't just happen once. We sometimes think, well, I, I came to Christ, I was filled with the Spirit, and now I'm done. But that's not what sanctification is. It's a continual work. And the neat thing about this is, is that, that Paul tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, which in the Greek is an imperative present tense verb, which means it's a command to be filled continuously. Like, a, like when you put a garden hose in a bucket and you just leave it on and the bucket just overflows. 
It's this picture of being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Our relationship with the Holy Spirit is not meant to be a one-and-done deal. It is, it is perhaps better to go back to our illustration of my heart, Christ's home, and to remember God's promise in Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. In our illustration and with this promise of God, we realize that our relationship with the Holy Spirit is a continuous filling where we invite the Holy Spirit deeper and deeper into our life, into our hearts as he moves into each room of the house, rearranging the furniture, sweeping out the cobwebs, filling, empowering, and anointing us, and even going into that secret closet and gently but ever so focused cleaning out that closet of all the shame and condemnation and all the brokenness from our past, all the stuff that we'd like to hide away until we have healing and wholeness in our hearts. This is why I think that we see over and over and over again that there's these Holy Spirit-filling moments in the Scriptures with the same people. John 20, which we just read, the the disciples are filled. And then again in Acts chapter 2, this is the famous one at Pentecost where where the disciples are filled again. And then in case you're like, well, the John chapter, the John is a different book than Acts, two chapters later in Acts chapter 4, the same people are filled again. They just keep getting filled filled, filled, and filled. And each time, Jesus gets a a bigger hold on them. And the Holy Spirit goes deeper. And a new room of the house is filled. And we see all these Holy Spirit filling occurrences because it's supposed to be normative in the Christian experience that we keep on abiding in Christ. That we don't just abide once and then we're done, but we abide and we abide and we abide. But for many of us, for myself included, at many times in my life, we've left the Holy Spirit in the entryway of our hearts, and our experience of the presence of Jesus in our lives has been nominal. Not much has happened since the day we met Christ, and not much has changed in the kingdom of God in our lives because we have not invited the Spirit deeper. We've not given Him access to every space in our lives. So the question that I have for all of us today, myself included, are we ready to invite the Spirit of Jesus deeper into our lives? Are we ready to invite the Holy Spirit into the living room and into the dining room and into the scary dark closet? Are we ready actually to turn over the keys to our heart and say, here I am, Jesus, whatever it takes, keep on filling and keep on filling and keep on filling and keep on going until the day that I see you face to face. Are we ready for more? So, if you're here today or you're watching online and you're not a Christian, so say you've come today and you're like, hey, I don't know much about Jesus, but I'd be willing to get to know more about him, and you're wanting to ask Jesus to come into your life now for the very first time, I'm going to I'm going to pray in just a moment, just a quick little prayer to invite Jesus into our heart that first time, to invite Jesus into our heart for the first time. I'll pray that prayer in a moment. If you have already received Jesus into your life, but you're ready for more, the invitation is to be filled and filled and filled again. If that's what you want, then I'm going to also lead you through a little prayer to do that at the same time. So I just invite you to close your eyes for a moment and maybe put yourself in a receiving posture, whatever that looks like, your hands in front of you, whatever that looks like. Just sit and let's spend some time just praying and listening to Jesus.
So again, if you're not a Christian yet, you can pray along with me in your head to pray this kind of a prayer, to invite Jesus into your life by saying something like this, just in your head, Jesus, I see that I need you. I can't clean up my life without you. And I can't have life without you. Come into my life. Bring me life. Save me. Jesus, you are my Lord. And Jesus, I know you died. You died on the cross and rose from the dead for me. Thank you for saving me. Come into my heart and make me whole. And still with your eyes closed and just still in a receiving posture, if you want more, whether you just came to Christ and you just want him to come and fill you completely or you've known Jesus for a long time and you're asking for more, you can join me again just in your head. Pray along with me. Jesus, I know you saved me and that you are not done with me yet. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill every part of my heart. Move into the living room, into the dining room, even into that little scary closet. Come and work within me, rearranging every part of me. Fill me, empower me, and anoint me with your spirit. Make me whole and help me to join you on mission. Now I pray for you, all of you church, that you would be filled and filled and filled again, constantly being filled and overflowing by the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, who has made you holy and who is making you holy. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So just as we close off, I'm going to pray a benediction over here in a moment. As we close off, there's going to be some people up at the front here uh, that would love to pray with you. If you want to come forward for prayer, if you've been struggling with something, if you've been, been excited about something, if you just want someone to stand with you in prayer, we'd love to pray with you. So you can come on up to the people that will be up here. They'd love to pray for you. Um, and if, uh, if, if you don't need that or you're not ready for that today, um, just know as you go this week, continue to lean in to what Jesus has for you. Continue to lean into this constant filling as you give yourself over to what Jesus wants to do in your lives. Somebody just pray his benediction over you. Just bless you, church, right now. I bless you to know Jesus Christ more and more, to experience the love of your heavenly Father more and more, and to be filled and filled and filled again by the presence of the Holy Spirit, that he would well up within you, that you would give the keys of your heart over to him and allow him to work in you, for you, and through you to the glory of God. May you receive even right now 
a refreshing filling of Holy Spirit. So I bless you this week as you go about your week that you would remember each day to turn your face again to Jesus and be refreshed by his Holy Spirit. We love you, God, and we thank you. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.